Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am your host, Ben Popper, joined as I often am by my wonderful colleague and collaborator, Cassidy Williams, the CTO over at Contenda. Hi, Cassidy. Hello. I'm excited for today. Yeah. So we got an email saying, would you like to chat with some folks at servos.dev? And I shared it with the group and you said, these folks are cool. We should have them on. So why do you think they're cool? And what what are we going to be talking about today? Yeah. So Servos is a company that makes user permissions and authorization simple to manage and to implement and Mm -hmm. stuff. And that is hard to do. So any company that (laughs) makes developer tools that make some aspect of the development process easier, I think is awesome. And also they're open core and, and open source, which I also think is even cooler. Yeah, I was watching some of the videos about them over the last couple of days to learn a bit. And a couple other things that came up within there was, you know, where they fit into the mesh of monolith, microservices, APIs, containers, you know, like how they kind of tie into the different versions of modern infrastructure that startups are doing to try to make it easier to sort of quickly get to scale. And like you said, implement some things where there's no need, no value to the company of writing it yourself. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome. Alex from Servos to the program. Hi, Alex. Hey, Ben. Hi, Cassidy. How are you doing? Hey. Good. How are you? Very well. Thanks. Very pleased to be here. Looking forward to a fun chat. So we always ask folks at the beginning, just give us a quick flyover. How did you get into the world of software and technology? And how did you find yourself in the role you're at today? Yeah, this is a fun one. So as a very kind of young kid, sort of five, six, my, my dad was in IT and he started teaching me to code and I was doing basic and stuff and MS-DOS and these sort of things. And kind of always been drawn to tech, drawn computers. And as of about every other 10-year-old in the sort of late 90s, I was reading Harry Potter books and I was also learning <laughs> to code. And I built a, a little Harry Potter website that kind of blew up and exploded and you know, had millions of <laughs> visitors a month and, and kind of got into tech that way, uh, combining everything too. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I got to go to like the film premieres, meet all the cast and that sort of stuff. Oh my but gosh. The bit of all that whole experience that I liked the most was actually designing and building kind of this system that had to be scalable and, and right. handle that sort of traffic back before like AWS was a thing. So running, running bare metal machines and such. Couldn't ask Cloudflare to help you out. I, I oh. think one key thing there is so many people who come on the show tell us, I got into this because of my love of X games, exactly, yeah. fandom, Neopets, whatever it may be. So always love hearing what it was that <laughs> sort of hooked you in and then led you right to start to use the technology, learn about the technology, build with the tools. So that's very cool. Yeah, I just kind of really, really fell down the rabbit hole. You know, I went into computer science at university and these sort of things, and then I worked at Microsoft for a bit um, to see what, you know, enterprise is really like, and then fell into the world of startups where I uh, met actually uh, the co-founder of, of Servos, uh, actually both the co-founders of Servos, and worked there as a sort of front-end developer, went into sort of tech lead, did some sort of sales engineering, and then ended up in the dark side of uh, product management, you could say, <laughs> um, but always very much focused on like the data and infrastructure side of things. So always you know, working out how we can scalably build systems, making sure that they would you know, work at the kind of performance we required, because one of our systems was doing you know, 25 billion events a day through it. So scale, performance, latency, you know, optimizing architectures was very much kind of where I spent a lot of my time and I went to a few other different startups and different verticals to do the same thing. But there was that one commonality, which is I always had to keep building authorization and permissions and roles. Hence, uh, mm. we uh, ended up working on Servos to solve a pain I had myself many times over, once and for all. First of all, 
the fact that you got to do so many cool things from your early days of building stuff is so neat. Cause I think of like, Whoa, you had millions and millions of users. I had like five from my middle school. So <laughs> that's so awesome <laughs> in general, but yeah, the back to servos, it, it's something that, like you said, it's, it solves a very real need. I'm sure there's so many things that you could dabble in and talk about, but I guess I'd love to ask about it being an open source company and what have been some of the benefits and pitfalls to that. Yeah. So our kind of philosophy is if you were to go and implement authorization inside of your system today and kind of just make sure we're on the same page, when we say authorization, we're talking particularly about can this user do a particular action? We're not talking about authentication, but the sort of permissions, authorization, access control side of things. And when we look at kind of what I've done myself, what the rest of the companies, everyone in the company has done themselves and kind of what you generally do out there, you know, 99% of our quote unquote competition is just someone writing that if statement or that case switch statement themselves to work out whether a user could do something or not. And, you know, if you're writing software, that's probably where you'd start off. You know, you have your, say your API request handler, and you have a user, you've got some sort of authenticated session, and you want to work out whether an action should be allowed or not, you'll write a simple if statement and off you go. And so our view is, firstly, how can we make this easier and more scalable? Or else, because you're going to have to keep repeating that code and you know, don't repeat yourself is the mantra yeah. of trying to work out who can do what across the code base. So we launched Servos as an open source and open core solution because you know, we don't want to have any blockers or any sort of things in the way that would stop someone picking a solution off the shelf rather than have to go and build it themselves and reinventing the wheel over and over and over again. You know, I'm a big believer in quote unquote buy versus build, though mm. in this case it's open source, because you know, you as a business or you as a startup or you as sort of developers, you know, your value and your time and your focus is really should be on that the value add business layer, you know, the core of what your your company does, not worrying about how to implement logins or how to implement permissions or how to implement a, you know, an email sending system. Right. Those things become they're just another service these days you plug in and you know, software composition itself is now just about putting the building blocks together, the Lego blocks um, of decoupled components into one system. And then you can spend all your time and all your input and focus and money on delivering the actual value of your business. So the thing that I've heard that kind of challenges you know, some of the ideas you're suggesting is that you get to this point of microservices and middleware sprawl where it's difficult for you, you know, working at a company to understand when something goes wrong, is this an upstream problem, a downstream problem, you know, what component uh, is causing these issues? And, you know, then I need to go out and get a fancy, you know, service mesh to tie all this stuff together. So talk to me a little bit about how your company, you know, works, whether it's, you know, we could discuss both a, a company with a classic monolithic, you know, structure, or, you know, a new school where everything is built up, you know, infrastructure as code and then how do you deal with those issues you know that kind of sprawl that we see in the world of many microservices yeah so i think one of the big reasons why using something like servos or some other kind of decoupled authorization engine makes sense is it allows you firstly to take all that sprawl of actually business and authorization logic that's going to be spread across your code base mm. which if you're say it is microservices you might have something in java you might have something in go you might have something in node because you're a heterogeneous kind of architecture and pulling it all out into a, a standalone service that's running still inside your cluster still inside of your infrastructure you know safe secure inside the firewall and it actually centralizes all that business logic into one place so i personally think it's a much cleaner way of doing things because mm-hmm. there's now a single point where some of the most important logic inside your application like can this person actually do this action is centralized in one place 
And by bringing it out and, and through the tooling we give you kind of a service is you can actually now write, start writing proper tests around authorization logic. So even before you go and implement it into your code base, you can actually define and write proper unit tests around your authorization logic that can run standalone and isolated and testable and, and everything kind of like that. It also simplifies things on the other end. So inside of your code base, in each of those languages and each of those systems where you do authorization checks, you know, the requirement is going to land as a you know a Jira ticket or a GitHub issue or whatever from most likely a product person, of which I've been that person in the past. And it's going to be written in you know prose. It's going to be a, a maybe a, a grid of tick boxes. This role should do this action, etc. And then you as a developer have to go and actually implement that as an if statement or as a case of it or whatever across the code base. And you end up with this sprawl by having it as that standalone piece. Now inside of your code base, you're not having to go and re-implement this logic. It may be in different languages, in different handlers, in different parts of your code base. It's now a single call out to a service instance saying, I have this principle, trying to do this action on this resource. And now regardless of where that check's coming from, front end, back end, some batch job, you know, it doesn't really matter. You're going to get a consistent answer based on a single set of policies. And there's no risk that in one place it might be invented one way and another place it might be invented another way. So my view and our view is that it actually kind of simplifies things by having it as a, as a central service inside of your stack. Now, the flip side of that, as you kind of rightly pointed out, is this sprawl of like a million microservices inside of my stack. And like, how do I know I've got requests flying around everywhere? And you know, what's going here? What's going there? Where, particularly from like a data security point of view, like what information am I sending where? Our kind of view on this is that we need to be a good citizen in this world. So you know, we're previous experience very much in the cloud native world. We understand you know, what it really takes to run large scale production systems and things like Kubernetes and those sort of things. So from day one, you know, in some of the first very first commits that went into the service code base, if you go back in the Git history, we're adding things like good Prometheus metrics. So you mm. can you know, see that you're on very good observability. So open tracing telemetry support so if you're running a, a stack and you want to have that full kind of end-to-end visibility of every request that's going through you know serverless naturally just fits in there it's just a configuration flag to turn it on and it fits nicely into your monitoring stack and then the other side of things and which is kind of a side benefit of having a standalone approach to sort of decoupled approach to authorization is you're going to get a clean and consistent audit trail as well mm. so regardless of where every check is coming from you don't have to go and implement your own audit logging or paper trail of who tried to do what it's all captured by that serverless instance that's running inside of your stack so you get that clean audit log at this time this principal tried to do this action on this resource and it was either allowed or denied right as policy and you kind of get that for free so you can get that traceability all right everybody today's episode has a very special sponsor yours truly stack overflow now we all know the frustration of searching for answers on internal wikis that have gone stale or trying to find that one email or chat thread from months ago with the information you need to get unblocked now. Well, there is a better way. Stack Overflow for Teams is a knowledge base that has all the features you already know from stackoverflow.com, but reimagined for your organization so that you and your teammates can collaborate, quickly find solutions, and be more productive. It's like a private Stack Overflow for your organization's internal knowledge and documentation, and it's used by companies of all sizes like Microsoft, Expensify, Bloomberg, Dropbox, many more. You can always try it out for free at s.tk slash teams pod. Go over there. Let them know the podcast sent you s.tk slash teams pod. If 50 teammates won't cut it or you need more advanced knowledge management capabilities, head on over to s.tk slash teams plan and use the promo code 
Teams win. You'll get a 30% discount on the basic or business plan for your first year, courtesy of the Stack Overflow podcast. All right, spiel over. Let's get on with the show. Cassidy, you've worked at a bunch of big tech companies and at startups. What's been your most pleasant experience? And are there things about Servos you kind of wish you had? I mean, when you hear Alex explaining it, what calls out to you as a working developer? Oh, man, it's hard to pick around stuff. I think the thing that I could see Servos the most useful for is access to internal tools, where when I'm using Okta or Auth0 or Clerk or, or or whatever tools that we might be using internally, we often have to log in and then there's some software and sometimes they don't work perfectly well with the authentication side of things uh, or not authentication. Yeah. Authorization. Gosh, these two words. <laughs> They're far too similar, aren't they? they? they really Especially are. when you start auth and auth Z, it's like, which yeah, one yeah. is it? Yeah. And when you just say auth, then you're like, which one is that? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, seeing that where sometimes we've been, we would use softwares where we would say like, it would be really, really useful if this software software actually did integrate with Fusion Author, Okta, or whatever uh, tool that we're using. And we would have to wait for a really long time for that company to be able to implement it. And so I could see something like this being so much easier to implement than some company having to write their own logic from scratch, just because Auth is not easy. And it's unfortunately something that everybody has to build. Alex, uh, this is a selfish question because I'm working on a piece related to this, but I'm just curious as you look out at what's happening in the industry, as you're meeting clients of different sizes, what are you seeing in terms of adoption of the cloud? Is it still mostly big public cloud and people are choosing all the you know things they can use from that big menu of options? Is it increasingly sort of like more like a private cloud or a hybrid cloud that folks are doing? Or in some cases, are people even bringing things on-prem? And when you have those three sort of, you know, different approaches, how does that impact how you might use like a service like Servos or go about doing auth, your kind of yeah. auth, not the other auth? <laughs> yeah, great question. I would say, you know, of the thousand companies we spoke to over the last year or so, yeah. you know, majority are obviously going to be on public cloud and you know, yeah. lots of AWS, fair amount Google uh, and Azure as well. But what we're seeing is a a kind of, a willingness to kind of do the extra bit of work to have some level of kind of decoupling from the cloud infrastructure themselves. Mm. So using Kubernetes is an obvious one. So you're not right. necessarily tied to like a native container service and it gives you right. some portability. You know, there's some things you just need to use the cloud provider for, load balancers, that sort of thing. Right. But, but Kubernetes to avoid lock-in, definitely. It, exactly. Uh, and for some kind of, some of our users, so we have like big, heavy reg- regulated industries, finance, insurance, those kind of industries that that use service today, you know, there is some notion of on-prem or kind of on uh, controlled deployment. In fact, mm-hmm. one of our users actually like ships physical hardware out in the world and it runs service <laughs> on them, which is a fun Love challenge it. when you start talking about updates and these sort of things. But yeah, having having that kind of abstraction layer on top of the cloud generally is you know, Kubernetes for it um, is in there, and and that's where we think you no know, service plays very nicely with that because at the end of the day, service runs just as a container or a binary inside of your stack. Mm-hmm. It can run anywhere. It's not coupled to anything. There's no external dependencies because Servos itself is completely stateless. So there's no external service. It needs to, you don't need to provide a database and do anything like that. You can run Servos you know, in a, a serverless function should you, if you wanted to, if that's your architecture. So again, that was one of our very early principles is how can we play nice when this world, we're going through this world that's kind of evolving in terms of how 
applications are architected and deployed to make sure it can be as you know, plug and play as possible, regardless of whether you're on-prem, in a cloud, on edge. You know, it needs to kind of work everywhere. And I think that's generally the, the trend that's happening, this kind of decoupling of core components of systems. You, know, you might plug in a cloud provider offering for one thing. You might run a sidecar for another thing. You might right. you know, push data out to some API for some third thing, but you're not necessarily you know, deeply tied to one particular uh, platform. And you know, if we look at the world right now where we have all these data protection laws and data locality laws coming in, you need to be able to spin up and control services in different parts of the world and, and you know, be certain how those things are and do that very quickly and not take right. a two-year project to move. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. I love the stateless decoupled approach to everything. And I think more things should be. It, it, yeah. it's, it's like the functional programming paradigms and directions of putting things together. And I was actually curious about the stack in which Servos is built because y'all have SDKs for all of the languages like Go and Rust and Python and JavaScript and Java and .NET and Ruby, all, all of these different things. What, how is it actually built under the hood? Yeah, so the core of Servos, the, what we call the policy decision point, PDP, is in Go. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a decision, obviously, from our experience, but also it has the nice kind of performance characteristics and, and memory kind of overhead yeah. and the ability to run and compile anywhere is kind of a big win for us. And the way kind of service works is you run the service container and that, con- that container um, pulls in policy definitions. So rather than writing in your native application code language, your authorization logic, you define it in a service policies, which are uh, YAML. Mm. If you're familiar with Kubernetes manifest, they look extremely similar to that, you know, Good developers copy, great developers paste. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that plug. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, to make something that's kind of very familiar and that's very procedural and you can uh, you know, t- test and, and write around it. And then that service instance, when it starts up, it pulls down those policies and then you start using the SDKs or directly with the API, calling it from your application code. So this the service instance itself exposes a gRPC interface. There's an HTTP REST one on top as well. Uh, but again, these are all kind of decisions we made for performance yeah. because right. unlike authentication, which you can authenticate, you can get a token that's valid for 30 minutes. So you don't need to go and hit an API again. With authorization, it's in the critical path of every request. Mm. You know, every single API call, you want to check whether someone can do something or not. Every single request, you want to check whether permissions are allowed or not. So all right. the decisions and everything down to the language we're using, the fact it's gRPC rather than anything else as a native interface. The fact that it's YAML that gets compiled to an in-memory representation, which is much faster. These are all kind of those performance decisions. So we have those SDKs, which make it you know, much nicer to interact with the Cerberus gRPC interface. Yeah. There's also the HTTP API if you want to use that as well. And that's kind of how, how it's architected. We're, we're big fans of Go. We've got some you know, future kind of plans with a, a managed control plane on top of it that, that plugs in nicely for that interface as well. Uh, things like protobuffers are defining for absolutely everything inside of the stack going forward. So we have a very clean definition of everything that's occurring and you can very easily go and extend it if you want. Because at the end of the day, it is open source Apache 2 licensed. Very cool. Awesome. I know you had something you wanted to share with us, uh, an announcement you've made recently. What's uh, coming online and what should developers be excited about because of it? Yeah, so we've been completely blown away with kind of the adoption of, of Serbos in its kind of form, which really is a developer tool. You have to be happy writing YAML, deploying things, setting up log ingestions, CI pipelines, or testing policies, etc. And where we're going is we're, we're launching kind of a next offering that sits on top of that, um, which is a managed Serbos cloud, which is an environment for you to actually define, test, iterate on cyber policies in a much more of a 
developer kind of workflow, um, but then also unlocks the ability to start bringing other parts of your team and organization on board to use it. Because mm. we know the people that actually hold the requirements authorization is not a developer. It's generally a product manager or maybe a security team yeah. who aren't maybe right. happy to go and write YAML files and these sort of things, <laughs> which is fair enough. Um, <laughs> so so uh, we're going to be releasing very soon the uh, Cebos Cloud offering, which is that management control plane and interface for getting more of your team on board. It's a managed CI pipeline. We do a lot of optimizations within it to coordinate rollouts of policy changes across your cluster of resources, things like log, audit, log ingestion, and, and these kind of areas. So there's a lot to come. We'll be uh, announcing uh, more soon, but servos.dev slash next is the, the page you can uh, go to and find out more and sign up for updates. Excellent. As the resident uh, marketer on the call, I appreciate what you're doing for all of us, <laughs> letting us letting us have a little bit more control, even if we don't know how to work on a YAML file. It's very sweet of you. All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. Let's shout out a member of the Stack Overflow community who came on and helped save a little knowledge from the dustbin of history. Awarded December 28th to Hoopji. How to print in bold on a terminal. If you're struggling with this, Hoopji has an answer for you and has helped over 115,000 people figure this out. So congrats, Hoopji, on the Lifeboat badge. I am Ben Popper. I am the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us with questions or suggestions, podcast at stackoverflow.com. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review because it really helps. I'm Cassidy Williams. I'm CTO over at Contenda. You can find me at Cassidy, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O, on most things. And I'm Alex Olivier. I'm a product lead at Cerbos. You can find me on Twitter at, at Alex Olivier. Um, that's O-L-I-V-I-E-R. And you can find out more at Cerbos at Cerbos.dev. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>